Welcome back to the Archery Geek Outdoors podcast. And we're now about, I do believe it's episode 18. It's been, God, it's got to be what, nearly a fortnight since I posted episode 17. I was originally going to do this episode, record this episode last Wednesday, but things have just conspired against me and I've never actually got round to doing it. So here I am, more than a week after I intended to do it, finally getting round to recording another episode. Wherever you are in the world listening to this, I hope life's treating you well. Uh, Here in the UK, we've got ever-increasing anti-Covid measures coming in, and to be honest, they really don't seem to be working. If you believe the press, and we've heard so many arguments for and against believing it, we're getting almost an exponential rise in cases at the moment and hospital admissions, although fatalities do seem to be lower, which, you know, we've got to keep our fingers crossed that fatalities don't rise in line with confirmed cases. Anyway, enough of the doom and gloom. Let's crack on with what I've been up to since I recorded the last episode. In the time since then and now, I've been giving really serious thought to doing the National Field Archery Society coaching course. One of the reasons being I have had so much pleasure from the NFAS that it would be nice to put something back into it. And I enjoy learning. I love my archery. Well, you know that. And it would be nice to pass that on to new up-and-coming archers, you know, Folks new to the sport, see if we can get some of that passion across to them. Uh, fortunately, Rob Jones of Othero Shelf, he's one of the NFAS coach trainers. So I've spoken to Rob a couple of times about it, and I think I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna commit to doing this. Although it does mean I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to be a responsible adult. And to be fair, never mind responsible. I'm still trying to figure out at 49 years old. How to be a bloody adult? But I think it's something I'd really enjoy doing, so I'm 99.99% certain I'm going to give this a go. And before I go any further, I've got to give a big shout-out to Jason Sordi. He's had awesome news today. He's actually been selected to be one of the staff shooters for Arrow Socks. Jason's an amazing guy. He's one of the most passionate people I've come across in archery and he just loves his bows, loves shooting, cannot get enough of it. And arrow socks make the most they make brilliant arrow wrap. It's actually arrow socks I use for my wraps. I just use their plain fluorescent ones, but they have an amazing selection. Uh is it arrowsocks.com I think? It's either arrowsocks.com or arrowsocks.co.uk. Go and have a look what they do. Their products are first rate and so reasonably priced. You cannot go wrong with them, guys. So, Skippy, massive well done on that, mate. Huge congratulations, sir. And on the subject of congratulations, congratulations, Anthony and Stephanie of the Off-Centre Archers. They finally moved into their new house this weekend. Guys, I hope you absolutely love it, and I'll I'll speak to you soon anyway. 
find out how you're getting on. Right now, on to the main body of this week's podcast. As you know, last week I said I'm starting my prep for next year's trip to Texas. I'm hoping to go over to Tech. Well, barring any major disasters, I'm off over to Texas next year to hunt with Lance, going after hogs and javelinas. So, in the complete opposite of my normal way of doing things, I've decided to get lot get the planning started as early as I can. And between since the last episode of the podcast, I've been off down the rabbit hole of hunting arrows. And when I say a rabbit hole, it, it's more like a bottomless cavern. I have ended up in such a quagmire of opinions. You, you know what it's like. There's that much out there on YouTube, on Archery Talk, all the various forums. And it really is a battle to sift out what folks representing companies they're sponsored by, folks that are just loyal to, you know, loyal to a brand. And I understand that completely. I, I do tend to be very brand loyal when I, when I find a brand I like. And if I try something different, I almost feel slightly guilty towards the brand I've, I've been using up until then. Why? I don't know. You know, one of those weird things about me, I suppose. Anyway, yeah, it's there is so much information out there and you can find yourself going round in ever decreasing circles until you disappear up your own arsehole trying to you know, trying to pick out the relevant facts. There is it's just never ending the, the amount of information that's out there. So like I say, I've been ploughing through this quagmire of information trying to find out the relevant stuff, you know, what what's obvious bullshit, apply a little bit of logic to what I'm coming across in the hopes of pick-selecting the right hunting arrow for when I go to Texas. Like I've said, we're going to be hunting feral pigs, and pigs are like four-legged tanks. They are one of the toughest animals to hunt, particularly, well, with a bow because they are so hardy. You know, Mother Nature wasn't messing around when she designed pigs. They they may as well be armour-plated. And from what I've come across reading into this about hunting pigs, uh, once they get over 200 pounds in weight, they're a completely different ball game. Like I say, they may as well be armour-plated. They are so damn tough. Anyway, what I'm going to do is go through my criteria for an arrow and hopefully some of you out there listening will be able to offer me your advice and experience on whether I'm making the right choices. You know, I I think I'm going down the right path. I'm fairly certain I am from the evidence I've seen in what I've researched. But if any of you can give me any more advice, you know, any suggestions, Please feel free. That's what this is for. Bear in mind, I have never bow hunted before. I like to think I'm an archer of average skill, but when it comes to hunting, I have zero experience. So what I'm doing here is reaching out to you listeners and saying, please, come on, if you've got any advice, any experience in this, get in touch and let me know. Usual forms of contact 
archerygeekoutdoors at gmail.com. You can hit me up on message on Instagram, archerygeekoutdoors, or just tweet something to me or DM me in Twitter at A underscore G underscore outdoors. Right, now I've got a whole load of notes written down in no particular order. So you, you'll probably find here I'm going to end up going backwards and forwards like a fiddler's elbow. And I, I'll apologise now if it seems completely incoherent. But like I said, there's, I've got that much information going through my head with this. Uh, it really is bewildering at times. Anyway. I I will have to put my hands up and say one of the big concerns for me is cost. As I've said before, my job doesn't pay brilliantly well. So cost is a factor in this. And it has been a factor when I've been looking at different arrow shafts, you know, different setups to shoot. And it was a factor when I emailed Victory Archery about a week and a half ago those of you that have listened to previous podcasts will know I normally shoot Goldtip Ultralight Entradas. A while back, I tried the Victory Vap TKOs, albeit a spine lighter than my Entradas. But I went with these because people have been saying how incredibly tough these little skinny arrows were. And to be honest, I found the opposite. I found they snapped like matchsticks. You know, maybe it's because I went a spine too light. I was borderline 300, 350 spine. And I went for the 350 because I was shooting them in NFAS. The maximum permitted arrow speed in NFAS is 300 feet per second. And I knew I needed to be around the 423, 425 grain arrow mark to get that speed. If I'd have gone for the 300 spine, I think I'd have been about 27 grains heavier. So, what, directing around what? Three grain? You lose one foot per second of arrow speed for every three grains you go up. So, I'd have been around the 291, 294 mark. I didn't want to drop to that, so I went with the 350s. Anyway, I emailed Victory Archery about a week and a half ago saying, look, I'm looking at building a hunting arrow. What do you suggest? I I'd looked at their the VAP range and the RIP range. The VAPA one six six internal diameter, the RIP range a two oh four in diameter. They do a lightweight one, and one of the things I'll get on to shortly is I was looking for. I'm trying to build an arrow. I want to go over 500 grains, preferably, here we go again, stumbling over my words already, around the 550 grain mark with a front of centre up around the 19% mark. So what I'm after is a light stiff shaft, Ua Missis, with plenty of front end weight and... These RIPs, I think the RIPXV, which is the extreme velocity, in a 300 spine is only 7 grains an inch. Now, obviously, a 7 grain per inch arrow isn't going to be the hardiest. You know, it's not going to be the most resilient when you're slamming it into pigs or if you get a pass through and bounce it off a rock. And 
you know, I, I explained this to Victory. I explained what had happened with my TKO, said, you know, maybe it was my fault for erring on the lighter spine instead of the slightly stiffer spine. And obviously, I appreciate a 7 grain per inch 300 spine arrow isn't going to be as tough as an 8.8 or 9.5 grain per inch arrow. But I was seeking their advice on what to shoot. You know, my RIP TKOs, they were almost double what I pay for my Galtip Ultralight Entradas and lasted half the time. And this was one of my concerns when I emailed Victory. As of yet, I'm still awaiting a reply. I think I'll give it another week or so. If I've heard nothing more, I'll follow it up with another email. If I do hear from them, I'll let you know what I say. Like I say, cost is a is a factor to me. And I don't want to spend twice as much on an arrow that's only half as durable. You know, I, I am still think, although I do love the idea of a 166 or a 204 diameter arrow, purely because with the outsert on, there's less drag on the shaft as it's going through an animal. I, I keep thinking... Am I going to end up just sticking with my ultra light entradas, which have been awesome arrows for me? Or, you know, what I had thought about doing was just getting a couple of different types of shafts and trying them. Don't want to be buying a dozen because I can't afford to waste that kind. I really can't afford to waste that kind of money. So, thinking if I can get a couple of each shafts, I'm, I shall play around with a 250 and a 300 spine. Because with the kind of weight I want to put up, I'm going to have to put up front to get around that 19% FOC. A 300 spine might turn out to be just a little bit weak, so it might be a case of get a couple of 300 spines and a couple of 250 spines if the 250s are available of my desired arrow shafts, and just experiment with them. Now, the other thing is, do I have them cut to the length I want? And this cuts back to a conversation I've been having with Lance throughout the week. As I've said before, Lance is putting in so much effort to building his perfect hunting arrow. And what he's been doing, he's bought an arrow saw and he's tuning them almost like uh, traditional archers tune woodies, wooden shafts, or recurve shooters shoot the tune the high end eastern shafts, where he started with the arrow almost at full length and just taking fractions off the length until he gets the arrow with his desired in certain point weight to fly right out of his bow. I mean, there are those that say, tune your bow to your arrows, and others swear by tuning your arrows to your bow. Now, I've got one bow to do everything. I'll be taking the bear kuma over to Texas to hunt pigs, but it's also my 3D bow. I know a lot of folks say, well, you should have a different bow for 3D and a different bow for hunting, but that's a luxury that I simply can't afford. I can't afford to go out and spend another £900,000 on a bow for hunting. I'd like to think Texas isn't going to be my only hunting trip. We never know what's around the corner. 
it may end up being my only hunting trip, so I really can't justify and can't afford going out and spending another £1,000 on a second bow for what may be used for one trip. Like I say, talking to the guys in the British International Bow Hunters, they've all said to me, when you've done your first one, as soon as you get back, you'll be thinking, right, where am I going next? And I really hope I do that. You know, I'm so looking forward to this trip. And I really hope that when I get back, it to be right, where am I saving to go next? What am I doing next? <laughs> so, like I say, I, I, I can't justify spending a fortune on another bow. So, the idea of tuning your arrows to your bow really does appeal to me because I'll want to practice with hunting weight arrows as well as carrying on shooting the 3D. And because I haven't got a bow press at home, you don't want to be constantly retuning your bow to practice with the hunting arrows and having to tune it back to shoot 3Ds. So I do like the idea of shoot tuning the arrows to the bow. Any of you out there do that? Let me know, you know, what are your thoughts on this? Do I tune the bow to the arrows or do I tune the arrows to the bow? You know, or do I get the bow perfectly to manufacture specs, tune it to my 3D arrows, which I'd, I'll be shooting my 3D arrows a lot more than my hunting arrows, although I do intend to get an awful lot of practicing with whatever arrows I decide to go for for Texas. And then do I tune those arrows to the bow as set up? for 3D arrows. Like I say, I've, I've just got that much going through my head and I really am hoping somebody out there can reach out and say, Rich, calm the shit down, take a chill pill, try it this way. This is what I've done. This is what works for me. These are the animals I've managed to harvest with, that, with my bow set up like that. Now, fortunately, Victory's online arrow spine calculator works on most of will work for most of the major brands obviously carbon express do theirs in reverse where with most manufacturers the lower the number the stiffer the spine i said i was going to check this out before and i haven't got round to it yet i do believe that carbon express actually works in reverse the higher the number the stiffer the spine but Victory Archery on their website have the most amazing spine calculator. It's not like the old Eastern one or the gold tip one where you get the very basics. With Victory's arrow spine calculator, you put in all the specs, right down from the weight of your knocks, any bushings you're using at the back, your wraps, your veins, the length of your arrow, uh, insert weight, point weight, and it takes all of those factors into account when working out the spine of your arrow. You know, it's it's similar to Gold Tips FOC calculator, only the only thing Victory don't ask is the length of your veins and the length of your wraps if you've got them on. You know, so it's a fantastic resource for working out the spines of your arrows. And with what I've put in so far, it's suggesting a 350 try a 300 spine but it may be worth knocking down to that spine stiffer and coming to a 250 from everything i've read 
it's a lot of that there really aren't many negatives about going a spine too stiff when you're shooting a compound because you're shooting center shot you're not shooting round the riser you know the arrow can recover a lot faster and that extra bit of stiffness in the arrow allows you to load more weight up front if you want and like i say i'm after this magical 19 percentish foc i'll get onto that more shortly but like i say i've got a pretty good idea of where i want to be and why i want to be there now in amongst this myriad of this torrent of information that's available online there is one voice that i've been listening to for a long time uh oh god it's got to be a couple of three years i've been watching his youtube videos now and that's a guy named troy fowler from strangely enough down in texas (laughs) he's got a channel the ranch fairy and troy has been extolling for a long time the virtues of heavier arrows and higher focs and troy's advice is based on 100 percent experience where being down in texas they have an almost unlimited supply of feral hogs and troy said he did try to shoot them with everything you know high poundage high speed compounds with light arrow light arrows hot you know punching them out at really good speeds with these big two inch cup mechanicals and he said if you get the right shot with a mechanical mechanicals are absolutely devastating on them but these pigs are so tough that the mechanicals weren't punching through and he went off down the ashby route and this is the route that i'm going with the arrows i want to build for this hunt and it came to a point i think he said with the big hogs he was only getting a success rate of about 30 percent and he'd looked at the ashby studies and decided to go full ashby and he shot i think he said it was a 260 pound pig with a 54 pound long bow you know in, in his words he said the arrows out of this thing were cut were going so slow he could have run down there and caught them but i think it was an arrow in excess of 800 grains with a high foc he hit this hog quartering on went straight in through the front shoulder and the arrow came out the pig on the opposite ham and he said his jaw hit the floor and since then he's been doing all these experiments with arrows and arrow weights and tuning and he's having some amazing success you can find him on youtube uh just search the ranch fairy and the guy's the most amazing character and i'm watching one of his videos the one night and one of the photos on his opening montage i looked and i thought that's ryan now ryan ryan clark he's a member of the british international bow hunters in fact he's one of our sponsors and he runs the african allure safaris down in south africa they do photographic and hunting safaris but i messaged ryan and said have i just seen your picture on the start of one of ranch fairy's videos 
And he showed, oh yeah, I, I know Troy, you know, we get on well. They've hunted together. And Ryan is using the same principles that Troy uses, but on African big game. And he's seen the same kind of success. And I watched one of Ryan, one of Ryan's videos where they had to take out a very aggressive bullnyala. And these things are big, tough African animals. And he had a pass through and I spoke to him about it. And it was using this sa- these same principles that Troy has been championing for a while. And I mean, he, Troy has pissed off some of the big names in the industry, you know, the guys who have paid to say how wonderful these big, wide, mechanical broadheads are. You know, they, they try and put him down and knock him down. But the evidence speaks for itself. And it's not like Troy takes one animal a year. Where he is, they've got, say, this almost endless supply of pigs and he's tried everything with them and this is what works so this is why i'm going down this trying to get around 550 grains you know maybe above maybe slightly less it depends how the arrows tune and more about that as i waffle on with this like i said i'm I'm sorry if i'm backwards and forwards and i'm sorry if i'm sounding like i'm getting a little bit hyper but it is so exciting getting into the nitty-gritty of getting this prep going for texas and the more i do the more real it's seeming like i say it had, hunting in the states had always been it was always going to be just a pipe dream for me one of those lottery win things but now i've been offered this opportunity i'm going to take it with both hands and relish every last second of it anyway like i say troy is a real character and he doesn't give a shit who he offends, which I think is one of the reasons I like watching him so much. You know, he's got this incredible sense of humour, but he doesn't suffer fools, which, you know, the older I get, the less I suffer fools anyway. So how I put it with myself, I'll never know, because I can be a grade-A fool at times. Anyway, like I say, Troy actually works with the Ashby Foundation now, and... I knew very little about the Ashby Foundation until Troy mentioned it and Tony from the British International Bowhunters mentioned it. He'd read all the studies and the Ashby Foundation was founded by a guy named Dr. Ed Ashby. He spent years researching bowhunting and if I remember rightly, I think he spent a lot of time down under and every time someone have had to take down a no water buffalo, is it down there? Cape Buffalo of South Africa, I believe. And I think it's water buffalo. I may be wrong. If I'm wrong, somebody correct me. But big, big, really tough animals. Every time one was harvested, he would use the carcass to test out different arrows and work out the the Ashby principles and he's he got all this empirical evidence you know I, I think he got data from something like 65,000 shots that you know that is a ridiculous amount of arrows but it gave him all this empirical evidence and it was Dr Ashby that was actually responsible for bow hunting being legalized in South Africa when he presented all this evidence that the right equipment used in the right way 
it is a perfectly viable and a bow and arrow is a perfectly viable and ethical way of harvesting an animal. So I'm sat here with a coffee in my hand and Dr. Ed Ashbury, I raise my cup to you, sir, for all the work you've done and the opportunity you've given bow hunters around the world. Thank you very much. Anyway, back to these principles. At some point, as I go more into building and testing the arrows I'm going to take to Texas, although I don't, I've stopped calling them arrows now, I'm calling them meat missiles. I just think it sounds so much sexier. Here we go, break out the meat missiles. Uh, as I get more into this, no doubt I shall come back to it in future episodes, and I really hope I don't bore the shit out of you folks with it. But, like I say, something I'm finding really enjoyable and so exciting going down this rabbit hole. I say incredibly bewildering at times, but then you find these amazing resources like the Ashby Studies, like the Ranch Fairy Channel, like the information I can glean from Ryan at the African Allure. You know, oh, yeah, by the way, I, Ryan has a YouTube channel, the African Allure. Check it out, folks. Give him a like. Subscribe. Subscribe to him, you know. If this is what you're into, bow hunting, Ryan has a wealth of experience on harvesting a whole variety of animals, and he does some really, really good videos. So go and check him out on YouTube, folks. Anyway, yeah, back to where I was supposed to be. God, I'm wandering off a lot tonight. Uh, yeah, he developed these... 12 principles and like i say as, as i do more of developing and building my meat missiles i'll go deeper into it and hope i don't send you all to sleep with it but for now i was just looking at the first three and number one from everything i've read and from everything good old tex grebner he's big into the ashby stuff as well and he built some amazing arrows to shoot out of his trad bows but Texan Troy, number one overall, whatever else there is, structural integrity, that's not just of the shaft, and this again comes back to my hesitation with victory and the way they snap like matchsticks. Uh, if any, this is all to do with penetration. You know, the archery bit's getting your arrow to that animal. The bow hunting bit is getting your arrow through that animal and out the other side. Uh, structural integrity, if any part of that arrow system fails, you're losing penetration. You know, be that your broadhead, your shaft, anything that causes to that, that arrow to deviate and not penetrate, you know, not hit perfectly and penetrate, is you're robbing yourself of penetration. God, that sounds filthy, doesn't it? Then again, field archers are a filthy-minded bunch anyway. The second of the principles is perfect arrow flight. Again, you may think you've got perfect flight, but if that knock isn't directly behind that broadhead as it contacts, if it's off to one side, you're depriving yourself of energy and momentum, and that arrow's got not going to penetrate like it should. And the third one of his principles is front of centre, commonly known as FOC, you know, who can give a fuck a front of centre, 
And there's this magical number of 19%. Apparently from what I've understood, and I, I have got to do a lot more reading on this. See, I keep doing these podcasts and I'm only, I'm going off, off half cocked all the time, aren't I? But there's this magical threshold of 19%. And I'll, I haven't written down a really good explanation of front to center, which I really should have, shouldn't I? I'm so lax on this. But like I say, I've just been so deep down this that, well, I've got all these notes, a proper description of how I understand front to centre, I haven't written down, so I'll do one and come back to it at some point in the future, folks. This magical number where the broadhead pulls the arrow through the animal rather than the back of the arrow pushing it through. The front of the arrow is pulling the arrow through. And listening to, I can't remember, it was one of Troy's videos or was it a podcast? He was on, Jesus Christ, I was only listening to that this lunchtime and I've forgotten already. Once you're over 19%, the research they're doing now suggests that over there, your arrow recovers from paradox ridiculously quickly. And the figures he was banding around when I was listening to him earlier suggest that once you're over 19% FOC, your arrow will recover from paradox within three feet of leaving the bow. You know, that is ridiculously quick, and I'm going to keep my eyes and ears open for any more evidence where that actually backed that up with some slow-motion film so we can see that arrow has come out of paradox and is in perfect flight within a yard of leaving the front of the bow you know, I'm presuming this is for carbon arrows being shot centre shot. I I know very, very little about wooden arrows apart from, to me, they're a dark art. And the likes of Rob Jones from Off the Arrow Shelf that build these incredible wooden arrows. You know, to me, carbon fibre science, there's a consistency there. It's man-made, it's not organic. Woodies are organic. And I, I can't think of it. Building carbon arrows is a science. This is how it appears to me. You know, I'm, I'm probably going to get shot down in flames by the traditionalists and the purists here. But to me, building woodies doesn't seem like a science. It seems like an art. You have to be in touch with that wood, that shaft. God, this is so many opportunities for double entendres coming up here. Yes, I know she asked me for a double entendre, so I gave her one. Uh... Yeah, woodens, woodies to me, they're way beyond me. Like I say, they're this mystical dark art of building a good wooden arrow. And there are some amazing wooden arrow, arrow builders out there. I mean, Rob Jones has just done a trilogy on the Off the Arrow Shelf podcast of building wooden arrows. That's when I said about the way Lance tunes his arrows to his bow by cutting them down, just taking a smidgen at a time off the front until he gets this perfect flight, this perfect tune. That's very much the way Rob describes how he tunes his wooden arrows, cuts them down a fraction at a time until he achieves that perfect arrow flight. God, I've completely lost track and gone wandering off again, haven't I? Hang on, I'm going to have a sip of my coffee, roll a cigarette. Yes, I know I'm a bad lad smoking, I'm trying to get in shape, trying to lose weight, and there I am, chuffing away like a goddamn chimney. 
But when I'm recording these podcasts, I do find that nicotine and caffeine are a wonderful pair of recording buddies. Actually, I say caffeine and nicotine are wonderful recording buddies. I'm drinking freaking decaf, or as my friend John likes to call it, what was, how was it he described it? Lonely brown sadness juice decaf coffee. Ah, well, whatever it is, I enjoy it. Bloody hell, if I ramble any more, I'll be asking for the right to roam, won't I? Somebody message me and tell me where I was, will you? Ah, yes, uh, yeah, yeah. Like I say, I've, the only thing that puts me off shooting my ultralight entradas over there is the fact they're a 245 internal diameter, and with a 204 or a 166 internal diameter, your outsert is wider than the arrow shaft, so there's less friction on the shaft. I, yeah, maybe I'm being incredibly pedantic over this, but I want to give myself every single advantage I can to be able to make the most ethical and humane shot on anything that I harvest. And I'm thinking, you know, will that skinny shaft give me a little bit more advantage, give me better penetration, you know, less drag on the shaft? And advantage, mechanical advantage. See, that's another one of the Ashby principles, and I'll get onto that shortly when I when I start wittering on about the broadheads. But I'd had a play on Gold Tips FOC calculator using my ultralight entrada setup, and this asks for so much information. It's brilliant. Uh, just go onto Gold Tips website and jump on the FOC calculator. It's brilliant fun. The setup as I'm shooting it with either pin bushings and pin knocks or uni bushings and G knocks. If I add in a 100 grain brass insert and 175 grain broadhead, oh, hang on, let me just grab my phone. Of course, I've got the pictures up here. I'd, with the two components in the back end, I have a 559 grain arrow with 18.7% FOC. So close to that magical 19%. But if I switch out the pin bushing or unibush and G-knock or pin knock and put in an Eastern Microlite Super Knock, which anyway is about 7 grains, that tiny amount of change on the back and I think the figure I heard banded about when it comes to FOC, for every grain you add on the back, you, I can't remember, there's five or seven grains you have to add on to the front to maintain your FOC. But just switching from the two-piece system on the back to an Eastern Microlite Supernock, although it had dropped my overall arrow weight down to 547 grains, my FOC would be up to 20.1%, you know, over that magical number but that's using a 300 spine ultralight entrada and that was done using boning x3 veins rather than blazers because the foc calculator even though not only did it ask you to put in the weight of each vein and the weight of your wrap but also the length of each vein and the length of your wrap so you know it's a really in-depth calculator it's wonderful fun to play, play with it and i've got to thank that Good old man, Simon. Old, no, you know, I'm not calling you old Simon. That wonderful gentleman, Mr. Simon Thomas, for that. He started sending me some stuff through on his arrows from the FOC calculator, and I decided to have a play. 
like I say, I don't know whether a 300 spine at 27 inches would take a 175 grain broadhead and a 100 grain brass insert. It's more to experiment and play with. Like I say, I've, I've got to buy an arrow saw. I'm still on an R-ing between the D-cut and the T-bird modular system. But like I say, that's, that's gone on, I say it's gone on the Christmas list. I've, I've just said to the family, you know, that's talking about Christmas already. Oh, man, it's September. Get a, no, it's October. We're in October. Get a grip. We haven't even hit Halloween yet. So how dare I talk about Christmas? But when it came up, I just said, look, the family said, what do you want? I said, just give me the money. I can buy an arrow saw. Yep. And, you know, I can then, I can have a play myself. I could go out and buy one, but I'm trying to keep as much money as I can for getting to Texas. Jesus, I sound like a Christmas. Yeah, I sound like a kid at Christmas, don't I? I'm so ridiculously excited about this. Anyway, so I, I may have to, you know, I can't, don't even know if Gold Tip do a 250 spine in the ultralight. They do the hunting equivalent of it, the Velocity, and I think they now do the Velocity Valkyrie as well which is the same dimensions, same grain weights as the ultralights. But I don't, I'll have to have a look, see if they come down to a 250. But obviously, the 250 is going to be a heavier GPI. So that'll affect the front to center as well. I mean, I'm not too worried about speed. I think with a 550 grain arrow, I can possibly punt about the Kuma uh, around, I think, a fight. A 423 grain I'm getting go through at about 303. Add 75 grains, divided by, to get me up to 500 grains, divide that by 3. It's 25 feet. So 275 for a 500, take 70 off, 17 off that. I, I reckon I can get a 550 between 265 and 270 feet a second, which is more than ample speed. You know, people rave about kinetic energy, but... Again, if I'm wrong, somebody can correct me. This is just what I'm reading and learning about as I'm going down this road. So, for God's sake, don't take me as an expert. I'm a complete novice at this, a complete newbie. I'm just trying to share what I'm learning, and hopefully you guys can educate me. So many of you out there have got so much more experience than me, you know, and I'm hoping to learn from you guys. Uh, oh, God, I've, I've gone off track now. Yay! Marvellous. Oh, God, where was I? Hang on, let me hit pause a minute, have a drag of my cigarette, a sip of my decaf, and I should be back to you in just a second. That's it, kinetic energy. Uh, you hear so many people rave on about the kinetic energy. As I understand it, like I say, this is I'm very possibly wrong on this, so correct me if I am. As soon as your arrow contacts what you're shooting at, that kinetic energy is gone. What you need is momentum. And at that speed and with that weight, I think we worked it out and I've got something like 0.63 slugs of momentum. You know, that, that should be ample momentum to punch into a, a, a fair-sized hog, although we want to eat what we shoot. And apparently somewhere, I think, between around 70 and 110 pounds in weight make perfect eating weight. Like I say, I'm not, I'm not into it for the trophies. I'm into it for the memories and the joy of being able to eat what I've harvested. And that I cannot wait for. 
And this is another thing about Texas. I'm so excited about the food. You know I'm losing weight. Ah, yes, I'm back down below 16 stone again. I had gone below 16, went above 16. Really worried I'd have put even more weight on, as you'll know, at the BIB weekend we had. Came back, weighed myself. I was back down to 16. I'm back. Yeah, it's only a smidgen under 16 now, but I'm back down to... 15 stone, 13 and a half pounds, uh, 223.5 pounds for those of you listening in the States, and sorry for those of you listening in Europe, I don't do kilograms, Although, oh no, hang on, it's dead easy conversion, and it 2.24 pounds to a kilogram, 224 pound or 16 stone is 100 kilograms, so I'm about what, 99.8 kilograms, yay, I've just got to keep this weight loss moving in the right direction, the exercise is getting really tough to stay disciplined with. The eating, now, I'm finding it's becoming easier again. I think I'm adapting. My body's now adapting to how I'm eating and eating slightly smaller portions. Don't get me wrong, I have days where I'll feel so shit after because I'll eat a load of crap. But I had a can of Coke on Saturday at the club uh, occasionally I'll have a Jack Daniels and Coke at night, but to give you how an idea how rare that is, I got given a bottle of Jack Daniels at Christmas. We're now in October. I've still got more than half a bottle left. And I bought, a, was it a litre and three-quarter bottle of Coke? Oh, God. It'll be about June. And I finished it last week, so that's how rare I drink Jack Daniels and Coke. But anyway, sadly at the club, I had a can of Coke. And within five minutes, I'm starting to get stomach cramps. So I think my body is starting to adapt to cutting out a lot of the crap in my diet. Don't get me wrong, I'm I'm not eating paleo. You know, I'm not eating completely clean. I've cut out a lot of the shit, though, and I'm feeling better for it. And if I eat something that's really crappy or stodgy, I'm within minutes, I can feel it. It's though my stomach saying, what the hell? hell are you putting into me and that's a massive massive positive for me i'm really pleased that if i do eat something as shitty as i used to eat before and don't get me wrong yeah i do have bad days where i'll eat crap like i've said but if i eat something particularly crappy my stomach straight away telling me this is shit you're eating rubbish and it never used to do that so this is a huge huge positive for me Anyway, after yet another wander off the beaten track, back to where what I should be talking about. Yeah, like I say, these all, I don't know if I can dial, dial, take the weight I want to put up front, so I may be down onto a 250 spine if they do one. Like I say, I think I'm just liking the idea of a 20, more so a 204 than the 166. But then again, if I shoot my ultralight entradas for 3D, and then switch to a thinner shaft to practice with the hunting shafts. It's going to affect the setup of my bow. So again, that's kind of keeping me thinking towards my beloved gold tips. And before anybody says anything, no, I have no affiliation with gold tip. My God, gold tip, I don't even know who I am. This middle-aged fat bloke sitting in the UK. I've just found they shoot wonderfully for me and for a lightweight arrow. These things, are, I've said it before and I will continue to say it again. Yeah, I can break them, but they are, for a lightweight arrow, they are re- 
ridiculously tough. And when cost is an issue, you really want your arrows to last as long as you possibly can. And like I said, I'm as tight as a duck's arse, and that's watertight. Anyway, on to the broadheads. I had said last episode I'd like to... I would have liked to have shot a two-blade single bevel, but you need to keep these things razor sharp, and while none of us like to admit we're not brilliant at something, my sharpening skills do leave an awful lot to be desired. So, back onto YouTube, watching all the things about broadhead sharpening, and again, Ranch Fairy did a brilliant one with the guys from the hunting public showing them how to sharpen broadheads. And I thought, right, everything points to a solid three-blade being much easier to sharpen. Uh, All you do is lay it on your sharpening stone. You haven't got to worry about the bevel because, 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 because. Yeah, it is because. Because you're sharpening two, two edges at once, you just lay it flat and that bevel is already there for you. You don't have to wonder about coming off the bevel, creating micro bevels and burrs and misshaping the edge. You know, again, sharpening's a bit of a dark art to me. I shall have a practice at it, and I would like to be able to get good enough at it to be able to sharpen a two-blade single bevel because these seem to be the holy grail of pig hunting broadheads and big game broadheads. Uh, But... I thought I'd go with a solid one-piece three-blade. I'd looked at a fair few, and one of the Ashby principles is mechanical advantage in that, right, again, I I don't know how to describe this. I'm I'm pretty crap at this, aren't I? My God, to think I want to be a bloody archery coach, and I can't even describe mechanical advantage. You know, the more pointy it is, the easier it sticks in. There, Noddy's Guide to Mechanical Advantage. If you've got a very wide broad head, it's a flatter angle. It's obviously going to be harder to go all the way through something. You think, if you want to kill somebody with a sword, stab him with it, you're straight through the other side. You hit him with it side on, and you don't go as deep. So, I wanted something. Uh, I think, is it three to one? I'd, I'll do a lot more reading into the each of the 12 foundations that Ashby came out with, and I'll go through them one night. Hopefully some of you might find that interesting. I think a lot of you will find it incredibly boring, especially if you're listening to hear how I'm doing with weight loss and getting fit and shooting 3D. You know, This is just something I'm learning about now. Like I say, please don't think I am any kind of expert on this i'm not when it comes to bow hunting and things like this i am an absolute novice with zero experience i'm just recording what i'm going to do and hopefully record my results as i build arrows tune them test them you know obviously in this country you're testing on bow hunting's completely and utterly outlawed in the uk so, you know, maybe go to a butcher's and buy a cow's shoulder blade, you know, a cow's femur, a cow's foreleg to practice on. And this is all learning by experimentation I'm doing. And I'd like to be able to report back and say, right, for me, with my setup, 
this is what worked, this worked well, this didn't work quite as well, this was a complete and utter disaster, and I shan't be revisiting this again at any point in the future. So please remember, I'm not an expert, I'm a complete novice, and I'm just, just recording what I'm doing to give myself the best opportunity that when I'm out in Texas, if I get a chance, the opportunity to take a shot on a pig or a javelina, I will make a good, clean, ethical kill. And I say this mechanical advantage, it is really basic. Thinner and pointier it is, the easier it goes in and the farther it goes in. And I think it's three to one. Ashby says, for every inch of width, three inches of length. There's one for your ladies. Anyway, I'd been looking and going through everything, and I was reading really good things and seeing really good things about vantage point archery broadheads. Uh, The VPA solid, 175 grain. These things are machined out of a single piece of tool steel, So you haven't got blades you can swap out. You know, there's a lot less to go wrong. And there were some really good tests of these things and awesome reports. And they're not stupidly expensive. When I go to Texas with Lance, I want to take at least a dozen and possibly a dozen and a half fully tuned arrows which achieve perfect flight to the specifications that I want them to be that are going to give me the best chance of success. And Rich Hill from the British International Bowhunters, I mentioned him last week, he said, you know, he's got a raft of stuff I can borrow to take with me if, if you know, it's, I'm a bit, little bit short on cash for buying some of this stuff, which is a most incredibly generous offer, and I appreciate it so much. You know, Richard, thank you from the bottom of my heart, sir. This is what I love about the archery family. You know, and really with the bow hunting family, the the help that's available out there is phenomenal. Anyway, Richard all said he, he's he got a, a huge collection of broadheads he's, he's experimented with. And I, I found him up the other night said, you ever come across VPA because, you know, vantage point archery, these VPA broadheads, I've read and, read and seen really good reviews on them. And I'm thinking of trying a 175 solid three grain, three blade, three grain, three blade. I'm saying solid because I know the, is it the G5 muzzies are one of the standards in the industry. You know, so many animals have been harvested with these things. But I had heard they whistled and although they're a decent blade, they're not mega thick. And these VPAs, you know, thick steel tool steel which is really good you know yeah maybe a little bit harder to get an edge on but it holds its edge brilliantly and i said i'm thinking about ordering some of these now as you know i've I've said repeatedly and i will say repeatedly again cost is a factor to me i'd looked at some of the bishops and some of these others you know and you're paying over a hundred pounds per broadhead i can't afford to spend 1200 pounds on broadheads you know when Odds are they get damaged, broken, lost in anim- you, you know the scenarios. These VPA 175 grain three blades, the solids, 44 euros from Hunter's Friend for a pack of three. And I'm thinking, you know what? Four packs of those, it's what, 
132 euros. You know, I've got 12 months save for these. Maybe buy a pack a month if I like them. And I said to Rich, have you come across them? He said, I've got a pack. He said, never used them yet. He said, tell you what, I'll post them up to you. Try them. If you like them, buy a dozen, send me those back. Or keep those, just buy me a replacement pack. What more can you ask for? How often do you get the chance to test shoot broadheads? So he posted them up and these are evil looking buggers. If you haven't seen them, you want to know what they look like, go onto Instagram, Archery Geek Outdoors, and I've got a photo of them on there. And like I say, being a three blade, they came out the pack, ran them up my arm, they took some hairs off. You know, not perfect shaving, but they're really, really easy to sharpen, which is, like I said, it's that's awesome to me because I'm shit at sharpening. Uh, so... I'll hone them up, get them scary sharp, because again, watching the Ranch Fairy videos, Troy is actually, for his sins, a, was it, cardiopulmonary technician, and he said, if your broadhead's not sharp, I'd, I'd never thought of this, you know, you think, broadhead goes through something, cuts it, it dies. The The veins and the arteries are almost elastic, and if your broadhead isn't sharp, as it goes through the meat, it will just push these blood vessels out the way. So, yep, you may go through a big one, but there's a lot you'll, your broadhead will go past. And if it's not sharp, it'll move them out the way. Now, like I say, Troy's got so much experience in this. I trust what he says. Ryan says he really knows his stuff. He trusts what Troy says. Ryan's a very experienced hunter. Like I say, he's a PH, a professional hunter in South Africa. He runs the African Allure Safaris. Ryan's not going to listen and take advice from somebody that doesn't know what he's talking about. So, like I say, if your broadhead's not sharp, it will push all these blood vessels out the way, and you want the cumulative effect of cutting as many blood vessels as you want. So, all those, these are, I'd say, a very good working edge they've got. I want them hair whittling sharp. So I'm going to order a diamond stone, a fine diamond stone, make a leather strop and get these hair poppingly sharp. Like I say, I want to do some tests with them. Uh, I'm waiting to hear back from Ryan at the Archer's Nest on a cost of 50 grain gold tip aluminium inserts and 100 grain brass inserts and then start doing some experimenting and I'll let you know what finds out, but I want these broadheads so sharp that should I get the opportunity to put a shot on a pig or a javelina, I want every blood vessel that broadhead goes anywhere near cut. Anyway, they arrived, and I've, I did a quick measurement of them. From the base of the ferrule to the point of the tip, they're 2.165 inches, and you, when you measure from the base of one blade across to the base of another, they've got a one-inch cut diameter. Now, I know the the flapper boys, the mechanical boys, are going to be, oh, no, you want a two-inch cut, you do. These things have got hundreds of kills to their name, these VPAs have. They're incredibly tough, which meets Dr. Ashby, uh, Dr. Ashby's number one principle of structural integrity. You know, it's no good shooting a broadhead if it's going to buckle and deform as it goes through. A, 
It's going to create more resistance, less penetration, and it's not going to do the job it's got to do. You know, when you kill something with an arrow, you're killing by hemorrhaging. You know, it's not a hydrostatic shock like a bullet when it, something gets hit with a bullet. You're killing by hemorrhaging, by cutting as many blood vessels as possible. You know, some, some of the videos I've watched, these animals have been dead before they've taken a step. Uh, like I say, they've got a one-inch cut diameter. They're the 175 grains. So I broke out my grain scales and dropped them on. They're all slightly over 175. But the variance between the three broadheads, like I say, jump on to Archery Geek Outdoors on Instagram. Have a look at the photos of them. These are some sizable pieces of metal. And I weighed one at 177.4 grains, one at 177.6 grains, and one at 177.8 grains. You know, so when you've got point, just 0.4 of a grain of variation against three chunks of metal the size of these, that really is remarkable. Uh, I haven't tested how true they spin yet. But like I say, that'll be for a future episode. But I am so looking forward. To, I'm hoping the Kuma should be back with me in the next couple of weeks. In fact, tonight, and it'll already have happened by the time I post this and new folks listen to it, the Archery Shackered back doing their live Thursday tech talks. They have been so ridiculously busy, they haven't had time to do them. And I really have missed them. You know, UK time... They're 11.30. It's, they do them 6.30 where they are in South Carolina. Uh, I think it might be, is it Eastern Standard Time? They're on, I think they're the same time zone as New York. So five hours behind us. So 6.30 for them is 11.30 for me. I normally, on, on, on a school night, you know, good old work night, I normally like to be in bed for half 10, 11 at the latest. You know, that's another one I've got to look at in a future episode as well. The importance of sleep. I'm going to send you to sleep talking about sleep, folks. Anyway, they're back on tonight, so I really have missed the last month of Thursday live live broadcasts they do. Like I say they've been so busy, they've just put all the time and effort. Anyway, yeah, that's back to where I am. As soon as the Kuma gets back, I'm going to start experimenting. Hopefully I'll have a nice little diamond stone and drop before then so I can get these things hair-popping sharp. And I'll let you know what I find. Anyway, guys, I've been whittling on for over an hour. Uh, by the time I've edited this, it might be just under an hour. But, yeah, I think I've been whitt whittling, whittering, whittering, rambling, bimbling, whatever you want to call it, waffling crap for far too long now. So I'd better leave you good folks in peace. Thank you so very much for taking the time to listen. Remember, contact me with anything you want to say. It's good, it's bad, it's crap. You know, get off the mic, you don't know what you're talking about. Or any ideas you've got for future podcasts, let me know, guys. ArcheryGeekOutdoors at gmail.com Twitter at a underscore g underscore outdoors and instagram archery geek outdoors oh before i go i've had the renewal site for my the renewal notice for my domain name so 12 months ago 
I bought the domain name archerygeekoutdoors.com with the intention of starting a blog. Me and technology don't go well together, but it's up for renewal. I'll let it renew uh, once I can figure out how to design and build a blog site. Uh, I may get a blog going in tandem with this podcast. There's something else to bore you senseless folks. Right, anyway, like I said, thank you so much for taking the time, the what? The time to join me. Uh, Stay safe wherever you are in the world, folks. Shoot straight. Remember, hashtag hard work pays off. I look forward to you joining me next time. Good night, one and all.